passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Long and Winding Royal Road. My name is W.H. Park, and uh, this is episode 35 of the show. And uh, today we have a special guest, uh, a returning guest, actually, but uh, kind of uh, a, a new guest in the sense that this is his this time he, around. He's actually now a member of Post Wrestling uh, since the last time he did this show. And, and joining me from WrestleNomics Radio... And and the, what what's the other show called? Pollock and Thurston, Brandon. Um, I yes, or is that it is Thurston? Brand, that is the branding that has has been used. Yes, the Pollock and, and Thurston shows. It's the uh, the the leading shows. If you want to know anything about the business side of professional wrestling, it's it's Brandon Thurston. Everyone, Brandon, yeah. welcome to the show. Back again. It's great to be here with you, WH. It's uh, to to be reinvited to someplace really means that they they want you there. So I appreciate it. And uh, I we're think. Here to talk about the greatest wrestling that probably has ever existed. So. You see, this is why you're back on the show because you agree with me on this point that, that all Japan pro wrestling of the 1990s is the greatest pro wrestling in the, in the history of the, 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 this great sport that we all love and follow. Um, I think a, no, a big novelty for some people might be the fact that we're not going to talk about, you know, spreadsheets or, or ratings or billion dollar TV rights deals or anyone with the last name of Khan, that, unless it was killer Khan. But he's not he's not in this match, so we're not going to talk about but him either. We, we are here to talk about the most important TK in the history of wrestling. This is true. This is also true. <laughs> Toshiaki Kawada. That's right. Dangerous K himself. But uh, but we're going to just gotta talk about wrestling. And, the, and a lot of people might forget that actually Brendan is a big wrestling fan and is actually someone who's who's who. Do you still do wrestling? No. No. I'm, I'm in, inactive. I don't use the R words, just like my hero Toshiaki Kawada. You know, it's just a quiet. I'm I'm, I'm running my own ramen shop, basically, uh, uh, in, in a mat, in a way of speaking. Um, no, I haven't wrestled since November 2021. I think was the last time I had a match, and I I told everybody I'm not expect, accepting bookings anymore. Okay, well, maybe some something someone's gonna have to coax you out one of these days to to have a match. You never know, but um, you know. no no plans because I. I had, so I didn't train in the entire, and, and in fact, doing a review like this, you know, where I'm actually reviewing content, a match, it, a couple of things, as Nick Khan would say, it makes me re- have, you know, enhanced respect for people who have to review content, like have to review like WWE shows and AEW shows every week. Um, but secondly, it, it, it brings me back to like giving people feedback on their practice matches, you know, mm. that we would have at training. So, so like I stopped wrestling, uh, I, I stopped training at the beginning of the pandemic. And then I wrestled like again, like a year and a half later and the matches were okay, but not to the level that I would want them to be. And I know that there's no space in my life right now to get myself physically to where I would want to be, to where I would be happy with the matches and happy with the output. So I decided 
to I've completely focused on like WrestleNomics stuff in the meantime. So well, I mean, you're, my head you're, is. you're killing it there. I mean, like I think you know you're the leading voice about wrestling, you know, business, uh, wrestling economics. Hence the name of your show, uh, and it's always like for me a treat to hear you talk on your own show when I get a chance to listen. But also like especially when you when you talk with John on on the show that you guys you guys usually do together. So. Keep it up, keep it up. But I will say, like, I, I have seen you wrestle on, on, on the YouTube gimmick, and, and I, I really enjoyed your work. So hopefully one day you'll you'll have maybe, like, a nice little Terry Funk-like retirement run. Yeah, Daniel Garcia wrestles for me. I, I, I tell people who, you know, who, who I had a hand in training, like, they, they wrestle for me, you know. Okay. Well, hey, I mean, he's representing you very well. He's one of my favorite parts of, of AW wrestling is uh, one Daniel Garcia. But uh, we're not here to talk about American wrestling. We're here to talk about Japanese wrestling, though one of the participants in this match is an American wrestler. Maybe an American wrestler not too many people know too much about. So we're going we're gonna to talk a bit about him as well. But, but uh, Brandon, what match did you pick for us to discuss today? I picked a match that is not very much like the style of matches that probably you've reviewed up to this point. Uh, but Gary Albright versus Toshiaki Kawada from That's right. Am I going to get the date right? October twenty fifth, nineteen ninety five. That is correct. Right? Okay. That is correct. It's October twenty five, twenty fifth, nineteen ninety five, emanating from Budokan Hall. It is a semi main event of a, a, a big All Japan show at that at that building. This is from the October Giant Series of 1995. Attendance was listed as 16,300 people. So very good gate for all Japan uh, on this main day. event. Do you remember what the main event was for the show? This main, The main event of the show. I was going to go through the entire card, but the main event is okay. a Triple Crown title match. Mitsuhara Misawa defending, uh, successfully defending against Kenneth Kobashi. Their first, 30... first Budokan main event must be for the, those two, I would think. Um, for yes. for them as 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 opponents against one another, yeah, because they would have been a tag team up until this point because the, the it's just June, the end of the, the no, June. they're still a tag team because they're going to go to the real world tag final. Yeah, so this point. might be yeah, this is where they fight each other for the first time for the triple crown, towards the I end think. of the tag team run. Yeah, because they had the the June match with Ta- Tawa and Kawada in mm-hmm. that that everyone thinks it's the greatest tag match and they of all would time. have had we're gonna get so sidetracked here and they would have had that october 15th 1995 one hour draw as tag as tag partners against Tawei and kawada the second one hour draw between those two teams in the year because they also had a one hour draw in january of that year yeah so the, this is why we have brendan on everyone is it's it's like he he knows his dates really well here like i i have to look this stuff up sometimes because i have too many dates in my head but um we're gonna talk about this match uh it's a really interesting match because like we're talking about gary albright i'm gonna go give kind of a short biography on him because not too many people know too much about him but he came from like he he got a, he got his break and he made his name in Japan initially for the UWFI, which was a shoot style promotion featuring the likes of Nobuhiko Takada, uh, Kazuo Yamazaki, um, Kiyoshi Tamura, and, and people like that. So he comes from that. So it's like really interesting for him to come over to the King's Road style, which is very different from from shoot style wrestling, and then how he incorporates that style with. Kawada, this is like actually his first singles match in in all Japan. He had come, he had debuted in the company a couple of months earlier, uh, and he was mainly wrestling. This wasn't his very first match. No, this wasn't his first match. He was doing a lot of tags with different people. He's probably on the whole tour, and this is the tour ender. 
Yeah, so he's he's actually like teaming with different people, like different foreign talents, like Stan Hansen and and um, uh, who else would be there? Johnny Ace and people like that, and different iterations. I think Giant Baba was testing him out, seeing like who who would you be a good fit with, and we'll talk about who he would end up being with, which is which would be Doctor Dusty Williams. They would become regular tag partners, um, pretty much from the end of '95. Uh, through 96 and have success there but we'll talk about gary albright here but but why you get back back to the original question uh ren why did you pick this match um when i was on previously i think we, we did the december 6 1996 um akiyama and misawa versus tawa and kawada uh tag final right and i don't know i just thought that this would be a really good match that sort of stands out as a crouton you know against all the other matches you know which are great it's just a very different style, right? Like it's it's not it's not the it's not Masawa Kawada or certainly not you know then in the following match literally that night there'd be you know the first big Budokan main event Masawa versus Kobashi. Um, this is a very different style and a very different you know it's a different wrestler than you know the, the same four or five guys. Um, it's just a very different uh, a, a look at what's sort of always I always do think of as a pretty top heavy. Uh, situation in terms of all Japan in the 90s to get something a different flavor of wrestling here. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is something that, you know, Kawada, among all the the, the main 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 level kind of wrestlers in all Japan, he's the one who really pushed for kind of bringing in different styles into the the, the all Japan system. And, and this is something that got him heat with Giant Baba and to the point where he's like, Giant Baba had a very strict isolationist policy for the most part in, in, in regards to like, I don't want to work with too many other promotions. People from other promotions did come in to work for him, like Hayabusa and Jinsei Senzaki famously. Um, but he pretty much did not want like to mix with other promotions, especially even if he could get, you know, the, the advantage in terms of booking and, and have his guys go over like new Japan did with eventually did with the uh, UWFI. But yeah. And what we're seeing here in the mid '90s is UWFI kind of dissolving, or I guess this UWFI is still existing at this time of this match, right? But it, it, according to what I read earlier today, they, they UWFI started their interpromotional relationship with New Japan around this time. This coincides with with uh, Gary Albert going over to uh, to All Japan, and All Japan would, would inherit a lot of guys like uh, Takayama, Yoshiro Takayama, uh, yeah. Masito. Kakihara, who were you know very much with UWFI. Yeah, they 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 would come over eventually a bit later, but yeah, this is this coincides at kind of the tail end of like the business end of of UWFI as its own entity, and then they have to kind of partner up with New Japan to like try to save their business. But in the end, New Japan has all the advantage politically in that relationship. So you know, but they they're smart about it. They UWFI famously gets over. They Takata wins the IWGP Heavyweight Title, and then. You know, he holds it for a while till he eventually loses it. And, and really kind of that, that and this, we're getting off topic here, but we, it really cements Shinya Hashimoto as as a megastar in Japan, like more to, to a higher level than he was ever before, is that match, is the, the match where he wins the title from from Takata. And, and you bring up Kawada being public about wanting to work with other wrestlers outside of all Japan. This match really makes me wonder, like, Man, imagine like a Kawada versus Takata match. Oh my god, happened ever around? Or I, I don't know. They might have had some interaction and hustle. I'm, I'm, I'm off the grid at that point. But, like, <laughs> but at their at their peaks, both those guys yes. would be like yes. kind of like they're the physical peak of their 
of their wrestling careers would be like 95 yes. especially for takata i mean by the time hustles comes along takata's kind of washed he doesn't did want they, to run did, a wrestling did they work together in hustle or did they just make yeah because like he because they were i don't know if they wrestled against one another hustle was not really my thing so i know like you know you know if you ever watch hustle you'll see like and, you, and you're familiar with Nobuhiko Takata just from UWFI. Like seeing him in Hustle is is a complete different thing because he he's basically playing uh the the bad guy from from Street Fighter Two <laughs> in Hustle. Generalissimo, right? The, the Generalissimo, he smoke a cigar, you know, cackling like a bad comic book villain. And and Kawada's kind of a, at one point like the hero of Hustle, and then he's also doing singing there. He's a very good singer, very lovely voice on Toshiaki Kawada. Multi-talented. But, uh, he can make very multi can sing, he can wrestle. That's right. He he he's a very good driver, from what I understand as well. So there you go. Um, I think good driver. How do you know it's a good he, driver? He, he apparently he had a lot of a collection of cars when he was a top guy in all Japan, and they were all expensive. So I assume he was he was good at driving them because, like you know, he, he sold most of them to fund his ramen restaurant. From what I read, really, wow, yeah. So he had a bunch of Mercedes, and then he said, okay, I'm going to open my ramen restaurant. I don't need all these Mercedes. I'm going to sell them all, take the money, open up my little ramen shop just outside of Tokyo. There you go. But let's talk about Gary Albright. Let's talk about this guy. He was someone who came into All Japan in 95. He wasn't – he's not someone you think of straight away when you think about, like, like the foreign talent that worked in All Japan. Of course, the number one would be Terry, uh, Stan Hansen and then probably, like, Steve Williams – and then Terry Gordy. And then we would go down a list of like later on Vader would come in. Um, of course, Terry, the Funk brothers, both Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr. And of course, uh, Bruiser Brody all made their names in all Japan for wrestling. But this in this era, I would say the, the top guys who are being pushed are Steve Williams still, Stan Hansen still, Johnny Ace is coming up uh, as far as like his position in the company goes, teaming with Kobashi actually. And also famously being... Mrs. Baba's favorite wrestler, uh, one uh, John Laurinaitis, who uh, we won't talk too much about him uh, post All Japan. Uh, I don't want to really get into that, but let's talk about Gary Albright. Gary Albright was violence on the other show. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Uh, Gary Albert was born May eighteenth, nineteen sixty three. So he's he's thirty two in ninety five during this during this match with Kawada. He is the son in law of Afa of the wild Simone. So he is part of the Anoa'i uh, wrestling dynasty yes, uh, by, by marriage, by marriage, yes. by marriage. Yeah. He was an accomplished amateur wrestler in high school and university. Uh, he wrestled, uh, he, in 1980, he won the Montana state championship and uh, was a state runner up in Montana in 81. I think he had a, he had a 55 and two record, which is pretty impressive. He then wrestled for the university of Nebraska, which is the N on his singlet that everyone sees like that's what it stands for. He's from the, he's representing his alma mater. He had 58 wins, four losses and three draws. He was a big eight champion, big eight, all academic team, NCAA runner up us team member from 1981 to 1984, 1982 national open freestyle champion, a 1981 world record Roman elite champion. And uh, so, he, I mean, his amateur credentials are pretty impressive. To the point where, like, when he graduates college, he wants to get into professional wrestling. He gets trained by uh, uh, what a hodgepodge. The trio here, Billy Robinson, Danny Hodge, and Luthez all had a hand in training Gary Albright. What a pedigree this guy had. I, I can definitely see Luthez looking at him as, you know, somebody who could handle himself. Somebody who, who could, you know, 
who is a, a real wrestler and a real accomplished wrestler. And from reading Hooker, that's what that's what Luthez wanted. And I imagine Danny Hodge and who and who else? Billy Robinson. Uh, Billy Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. The last Hookers, really. All three of them. Yeah. Exactly. And and uh, uh, he makes his debut on May 9th, nineteen eighty eight, for Stampede Wrestling, but not in Calgary. In in Mon- in his home state of Montana, they apparently did tours in the United States here and there. Uh, in 1988, defeating a wrestler by the name of Jonathan Holiday, he would wrestle for Stampede for two years before doing some dates in 1990 for New Japan, WCW, and the NWA. And uh, he had actually kind of a one of those really weird uh, kind of uh, what a, how shall I say jigonistic uh, you know uh, gimmicks. He was Volkan Singh. Uh, teaming with Mike Shaw, who is Gamma Singh, who would later become known as Bastion Booger, yes, in, uh, in the WWF. Uh, but so he did that gimmick there, or Norman um, Lunatic, you may know him as. Yes, Norman Lunatic was also Mike Shaw. Um, but but that's what Gary Albright's gimmick there. It's funny. Like I was talking with John Pollock about this the other day because we were talking about me recording the show with you, and he, I was just saying it's funny if you look at Calgary. It's it's like you know most of their. You know, heels were either like people from India or people from Vietnam. And and most of the people that he put in these roles were neither Indian nor Vietnamese. Yeah, like did Guada uh, do do like a Vietnamese gimmick when he was uh, uh he might have Hashimoto definitely did. Okay. And like Hase was Viet Cong Express two right. or or something like that. So yeah. It's it's all it's all the brainchild of one Bruce Hart, so that's all we need to say about that. But anyways, with Albright, he he in 1991 he goes to Japan. He joins the Union of Professional Wrestling Force International, the UWFI. I gotta say, Brandon, that's one of the greatest professional wrestling promotion names of all time. I've I've only recently learned that that's what it stands for. Uh, I don't think I ever knew until until I was doing some cage match data research, and I was like, oh, that it does stand for something. That makes sense. I figured I don't know Universal Wrestling Federation or something like that. But no, Union. What is it again? Union of Professional Wrestling Force International. So, so it's the closest thing you'll ever get to a union in, in professional wrestling is probably this promotion. But like the, the, the initialism doesn't even really work out, you know? It's Japan. Yeah, okay. It's Japan. Like there's like there's also where is it? Uh not, most of these don't work don't necessarily work for, you know, some some of these like smaller groups, especially the sheet style ones. The the uh the acronym doesn't necessarily always fit. But anyways, wrestling and romance. It, it was actually first was a wrestling association R, and then Tenru said wrestling and romance, and I, it, it's better. I not there's that too much romance romanticism with you know Yoji Anjo versus Bam Bam Bigelow. That, that's just me. That's just my opinion. Uh, uh, Albright would would join here in 1991. He would spend the next four years developing an amazing resume of matches against some of the best shoot style wrestlers like uh like i mentioned before kiyoshi tamara masahiro kakihara nobuhiko takada and kazuo yamazaki and a lot of these are are uh, are available uh to see on 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 youtube if you do a little bit of searching here and there uh i i I can't i can't recommend highly enough like especially the matches with tamara and takada just fantastic stuff he he was like someone who you would think okay he's got this amateur wrestling background and he incorporates like a lot, a lot of grappling in his matches in these shoe style fights but he's a he's actually developed a really nice uh, striking base and 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 uses like elbows and and uh, palm strikes and kicks uh, not so many kicks but like he can he can't use his feet but he he becomes a really well rounded fighter 
in UWFI. He becomes well-known for his suplexes, his throws, and his grappling. Uh, his last match in UWFI is on August 18th, 1995, against uh, Kiyoshi Tamura, and he wrestled his first All-Japan match on October 2nd, 1995, uh, teaming with Johnny, Johnny Ace and the Patriot against Jun Akiyama, Kenna Kobashi, and Takao Omori. So he's maybe he's he's trying to get a spot in uh, global energetic and tough here. Uh, but uh, you know that that spot that third spot would eventually go to one uh, Kenna Kobashi here. But uh, he becomes uh, Stan Hansen's partner for the 1995 Real World Tag League, finishing with 14 points, winning, and they would win uh, seven of their block matches. And, and Brandon is back. I was just going over like uh, his 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 start ending with UWFI, his beginning with All Japan, talking about he was Stan Hansen's partner for the 95 uh, Real World Tag League, Brandon. And uh, yeah, and so we'll just continue. Albright's. First single match. Off here. <laughs> sure, no problem. First single match is against Kawada. This is the match we're going to talk about here at Budokan Hall. And this is, you know, about three weeks after his first match in All Japan after leaving UWFI. So, like, he's he's getting a big spotlight match right away from Giant Baba against one of one of his top guys in the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh the 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 crowd is 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 really hot for him. I don't know if we I don't want to jump ahead, but I, I'm curious to see like what what the crowd reaction was for those other matches because it, it just you know it there's some all Japan versus New Japan 2000 vibes uh, in terms of the heat. Oh, definitely. We'll talk about the heat when we when we get to the actual match itself. But uh, continuing with Albright, just for the rest of his time in all Japan, he has a match against uh, Mitsuhara Masawa for the Triple Crown on March second, nineteen ninety six, at Bukon Hall. He of course he. He does not win the Triple Crown in that match. Uh, he enters his first champion carnival, getting six wins, uh, which means he got 12 points. He teams with Sabu for the 96 Real World Tag League, getting only six points in that tournament. He wins his first World Tag Team title with Stan Hansen on January 24th, 1996 in Nagano, defeating the team of Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe. 97 uh, he jo- he enters the Champions Carnival. He gets 12 points again, doing you know fairly well. Around mid-97, he starts teaming with Dr. Death Steel Williams to form the Triangle of Power, and that's their little symbol. It's like They would do that. That's their group signal, uh, along with uh, the, uh, the lacrosse. Brandon, are you familiar with the lacrosse? I forgot about the Triangle of Power. So la- lacrosse, they, they went through this phase where they put – these guys who I think eventually they would take the masks off of. Right. So there's Wolf Hawkfield. That's right. Yes. Is that who lacrosse is? The lacrosse is would become Wolf Hawkfield because giant Baba would get uh, some kind of deal with the the creators of virtual, virtual, virtual fighter, which is okay. So this was a video game character. This is a video game character. Okay. And then, and then finally when the exodus happens, he becomes, he uses a real name, which is, Jim Steele. Jim Steele. And George Hines is the Eagle? The Eagle, yes. Yes. And of course, Del Wilkes would be the Patriot. Though he never takes his mask off. No, no. Ultra fan. That's Patriot. Only only for Uh, HBO. That's, that's right. So he is he's part of the Triangle of Power in 97. He this is I would think this is the peak of his of his of his career in all Japan because uh he would him and him and Steve Williams would win the tag titles from Kobashi and Johnny Ace on July 25th, 1997 and like uh 
you know, he, and this is from this point, like Baba just pushes him and Dr. Death as his, one of his top tag teams in the company. I think also to give some kind of a, you know, give Dr. Death, be able to keep him high on the card without having him do too many singles. Because at this point, Dr. Death is his body doing this style for God, like six, seven years now. And, and just, you know, taking tremendous amount of damage, you know, throughout his career in, in before even working all Japan, but, but mainly in all Japan. And so like, you know, teaming with Albright, Albright can be, you know, the, the workhorse of the team, Dr. Death can come in do some doctor bombs, press slam people and power bomb them and, and just beat them up a bit, tag out Gary Albright can get all the heat and stuff like that. And so like, I think it was a really nice pairing of Albright and and williams not not of course not the same level as like the miracle violence connection of williams and and terry gordy but i think this was a really successful pairing and they had really good chemistry as a team together yeah it's gary albright is still we're in that era even though it is the late 90s where people who who are he's like what in his early 30s at this point but he looks you know, if, if he were walking around today, you'd be like, that guy is like no, no younger than 52. Um, but he's, he's, he's gotta be quite a bit younger than Steve Williams at this point. He's probably pushing 40, if not. Yeah. Over. Well, also, I mean, like John Tenta earthquake was kind of like that. If you look at John yeah. Tenta, you'd think, oh, this guy's, yeah. this guy's 45, but he's like, no, he's actually 27. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> um, in the uh, world, uh, so Williams and, and and Albright would enter the real world tag league in '97. They would get 14 points. Uh, Albright would form a new triangle of power after Doctor Death left to have his uh, very successful run in the WBF. Yes. I meant that ironically, do, by the way. Do, do you uh, remember the hand signal for the, the triangle of power? It's, it's yeah, like yeah. it's like this. It's like yeah. it's like the DDP. Yeah. People are probably going to mostly hear this and not video. It's like DDP, but but no but no fingers out. It's yes, just, it's right. just index it's, finger it's and this. And then Dr. Death would bring this back with like when he would come back to All Japan after his failed run in WCW as well. And he would yes. team with Mike Rotunda to reform the varsity club, but they would do the triangle power symbol for I don't know, as a tribute to, to Albright, maybe. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Death <laughs> had to go do had to go do um Brawl for All. And uh and the, and he wouldn't come back until he went to WCW for a minute, right? And, and dropped yeah. luchadors on their heads and stuff like that, and worked with um, Ed Ferrara. Yeah, that's right. And then he Those are the come days. back, come back just in time for Mitsuhara Masawa to take everyone and go, go to form form Pro Wrestling Noah. But uh, Albright's new triangle power would be him and two of his former UWFI compatriots in Masahito Kakihara and Yoshihiro Takayama. So this is just before. Takayama would be paired with Takao Mori to form the uh, the No Fear tag team. Um, that's right, No Fear. If you play virtual pro wrestling too, you, you know you would see you could do these all these taunts in that game for the N64. Yes. And if you were a tape trader for All Japan Pro Wrestling, you, you knew what all those WrestleMania 2000 yeah. and No Mercy taunts were about. Exactly, that's right. Uh, ninety eight and ninety nine would see him really fall down the card as other acts would get bigger pushes. Also, this coincides with. The, the the introduction of of Vader into the company he would be coming in to to all Japan around this point and it's oddly enough like you know in Gary Albright's time in in, in UWFI he was pushed pretty much as the top foreign he, not heel because they really do heels there but he was top he was pushed as the kind of top heel not sorry top foreign guy in UWFI against the likes of Takata and Tamara but when Vader signed with the company 
for a brief time, he got pushed down the card. He's then he started getting tag matches and, and undercard matches. So this guy I think prompted him to eventually decide, okay, I'm gonna go over to do uh all Japan for wrestling. But um uh, yeah. So also so sadly, uh Gary Albright died on January seventh, two thousand at a World Extreme Wrestling show in Pennsylvania. I believe this is the promotion of his father-in-law, Afa. And uh, his death was listed as a heart attack in the ring. Uh, and then it was found it was found out he suffered from diabetes, had an enlarged heart, and uh, blocked coronary arteries. So, you know, Matt, he was a big, pretty. He was. I wouldn't say he was a huge guy, but he's pretty sizable. Like. So it was. It was kind I mean, of. We're not uh, talking about somebody who's like in, and this is in in that era where we're starting to see a lot of wrestlers. This is pretty early on in it. Where we're starting to see a lot of wrestlers around age four. You're just over forty who are dying. Um, I mean, Gary Albright certainly doesn't look like a guy who was loaded up on steroids, but um, I, who knows what contributed to his death? Yeah. So they they I know like famously they had a, like a tribute show for him. And then you know Dwayne Johnson, The Rock would do like some sign appear as a, as a you know signing some autographs for charity to help raise money for for Albright's family and things like that. So um, excuse me. So let's get to the match itself. But before we do that, uh, Brandon, we're going to talk about the card. We're going to go through the card first, and just so like if people are are searching for this show, like what are the things they might be able to find if they're able to find the entire show on tape somewhere out there. Uh, singles match, Rob Van Dam defeats Kentaro Shika in 8 minutes, 10 seconds. In a comedy tag team match, Haruka Aigen and Masanobu Fuchi defeat Mitsuo Momoda and Russia Kimura in 12 minutes, 52 seconds. Six-man tag team match, the Holy Demon Army of Tsuyoshi Kikuchi and Yoshinari Ogawa and Ryukaku Izumida defeat the Super Generation Army trio of Junakiyama and uh, Satoru Sako teaming with Masao Inoue in 11 minutes, 42 seconds. In a tag team match, Abdullah Butcher still kicking around, and Giant Kimala defeat Dory Funk Jr. and Mighty Inoue. Uh, no relation to Masao Inoue, by the way. Uh, six-man tag team match, Johnny Ace, Johnny Smith, and the Patriot defeat Mike Anthony and the Can-Am Express of Danny Crawford and Doug Furness in 8 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, and our our last uh, undercard match, Giant Baba, Jumbo Suruta, and Stan Hansen defeat Akira Tawe, Takao Mori, and uh, Taman Honda in 16 minutes, 52 seconds. And, of course, our, our semi-main event is Toshiaki Kawada uh, facing Gary Albright. And uh, Triple Crown title match is our main event, Mitsuhara Masawa taking on Kenna Kabashi and, and defeating him in 35 minutes, 51 seconds. And I'm just going to mute myself so I clear my throat. Hold on a sec, please. <clears throat> A, a measly four stars Dave Meltzer gave that first Misawa versus Kobashi match. Just four stars. No no seven, no eight. Four no, stars. Well, I mean, so in, 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 I know Dave doesn't think of it as a slang scale anymore, so so that means this this match is I, – I, but I do, so that means this Misawa-Kobashi match is a, it's a three-star match. Right. So, <laughs> anyways, to him at least. It, it's, a, it's a five-star in my heart. Always will be. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so we, we get to the match itself, Brandon. And, and honestly, like you we're, you were talking about this before. It's like this crowd, they don't even touch. They just did the ring announcements, right? The ring inductions. This crowd is super hot. And they, yeah. these guys haven't even like touched each other. They haven't locked up nothing. You'll find this on YouTube. But if you do like a, a Google search and you use the videos tab to search for this match, you can find a daily motion link that has like 10 extra seconds 
before before the entrances where like Gary Albright gets in the ring and he gets right face to face with Quada and uh Superheat because this is like on this stage I mean yes he's been on the tour apparently but this is you know a new wrestler from from the outside who's who's coming in here and it's super heated and there's there's a lot else in this match that's like novel and special well, I also think, like, you know, like, especially in Tokyo, the Japanese wrestling fans, they might be, like, I, ne- I never feel like there's, like, a lot of crossover. Like, if you're an All Japan fan, you're not necessarily going to be a New Japan fan or, you know, watch UWFI. But you will know who these wrestlers are because you'll read the magazines, probably. And so, like, all the all the magazines cover all the promotions. So you might even see clips here and there on certain, you know, television stations where you'll see, like, clips of UWFI so you'll you'll be familiar with who Gary Albright is. You know that he defeated like guys in the UWFI. You 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 know that he was pushed as a big star over there, and that he's actually a very talented wrestler. If you see clips like, <laughs> you know that like him hitting you with the German suplex is likely to to knock yeah. you out. Um, so that's Re- one of his reading finishers. the Wikipedia page was the perfect setup for this because it it talks about how he took out, took out all these guys in UWFI with German suplexes and knocked them out. That was the finish. German yeah. suplex knockout. So he, he the force of Gary Albright's suplexes, and he was kind of like I said earlier while you were you were off air there for a second there, Brandon. Like he he was pushed as a suplex machine, like a guy who yes. who knew all these different suplexes, and they would come into play in this match, of course. But like, but yeah, just immense heat, just at the start, because like these fans know who Gary Albright is. They're like they're excited because oh my god, there's a fresh talent. He's getting a push because he's in there with Kawada in a singles match. That's not really too common. It's not like you know. It's not like they, you know, like Johnny Ace got like big matches when he first started in the company. Like he he had to work his way from the bottom to the top, right? So this is like Albright. Okay, let's see what you can do. You could who's the best opponent for you in our company? To- Toshaki Kawada because he he has a similar style to what you would have you would have faced back in UWFI among the do this too. among the yeah among the pillars. So uh, so yeah, this is basically a styles clash here. We have UWFI suit style versus. All Japan's Royal Road style, and and, and the fans, the fans of Budokan, they are here for it, Brandon. They're they're like so excited. So we get to the match. Both men circle each other before Kawada tries for a low kick, which Albright blocks. Kawada shoots in, which was a big mistake, as Albright takes his back and immediately tries for his devastating German suplex, which people uh, freak out. Yes. They're they're like oh my god he's gonna he's gonna beat him in like a minute we're not gonna get a, a, a you know a, a significantly uh, timed match here or something like that but don't worry you know Kawada escapes and tries for a Pele kick but Albright avoids that and gets Kawada's back again for another German attempt uh, Kawada brilliantly gets a single leg takedown and great fight but Albright is is too close to the ropes. Uh, Kawada, uh, a Kawada call breaks out among the fans, and Kawada goes for low kicks and connects. And this sets up his jumping uh, Gamangiri high kick, which rocks the big man from the University of Nebraska. And the crowd is on their feet. I saw one guy like on the opposite side of the hard camp just pumping his fist in the air at this. And then, and it, you know, it, it's really funny because like you don't like necessarily to see these kinds of reactions outside of the main events of of all Japan Budokan shows. Yeah, it, it we we're going over the whole card. You know, if fans if you're if you've only become a fan of wrestling or started to watch wrestling or Japanese wrestling within the last, you know, 10 years or so, um 
we're used to going on New Japan World or going onto the streaming service and seeing the, the entire card, which is just not, not a thing that happens in all Japan in the 90s, I don't think. Like, there, there's no even, you know, G plus TV to see the whole card. Um, I, I think, and probably by this point, it's 30 minutes, it's a 30 minute TV show where they're just sort of doling out whatever matches they can in, in that time slot. So, yeah, it's, uh, and that's kind of dictating why this is such a top heavy promotion. Yeah, so a lot of the times what gets broadcasted, they had to deal with the biggest net, the biggest network in Japan, NTV, Nippon TV. So, but they over the over the you know over the years, they're like they're they're the amount of time in the time slot, you know, whittles down to a point where it's like like you're saying thirty minutes. So they only have time usually for main events. So I think for this episode, they probably showed, and I won't say exactly how long this match is until we get to the end of it, but they they probably showed the this match in its entirety. Plus, like maybe like some clips of some of the other matches, or maybe like you know, kind of building this match up. They might have showed clips from the tour of Albright using his moves and and showing how effective he is with suplexes and and the, and and the such. So I'm not exactly sure what was else was on this episode, but in, in, uh, in the VHS days, were you getting the, the commercial tapes? Of these, the, no, I was getting cli- I was getting like the clips, and I was getting compilations of like, <clears throat> excuse me, of seventh gen- seventh generation, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, graded things. Yeah, no, I I remember that the I don't know if they're doing commercial tapes through through that was it VAP VAP at at this point they're they're about to at least, but a lot of those commercial tapes for whatever reason they would like be in reverse chronological order. Like the tour ender main event would be the first match on the tape. I mean, just to illustrate to the extent to which you were not seeing things in their entirety or even in chronological order. Yeah. I mean, with also with commercial tapes, like the, they're they're even back then they were like super expensive. Like, especially I remember, I take it. Yeah. And then I would go to no, but like in Japan, like if you're trying to buy this, collect these things, like you, 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 you must've been a super fan and had a good, good paying job or had money because like these things were not cheap. And I remember I went to Japan. You think this is like the advent of DVDs the first time I went to Japan, but like they're still selling some VHS stuff. And and I'm like, okay, this got to be cheap because they might try to get rid of this stuff. So they, like, they're going to want the, the people going to want to upgrade to DVD or something like that. No, there's still like 50 bucks. If you want like one videotape of like, two hours or three hour maybe three hour runtime but probably two hour runtime i'm like are you fucking kidding me two hours you want 50 bucks for that no well, well they knew you're you're gonna you know the the, the tape, tape trading industry was out there and you were gonna make your money back many times over through this master tape that's uh, right through all, me through and all the hung, hungry, me and uh, uh wrestling fans all over, over the world me and seven other people that's the seventh generation uh copies of of some of these matches where the uh the tracking the tracking uh static is 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 uh clear and present uh, and then the person that you you sold a copy of the tape to was going to sell it as as a copy to tell other people and then they were going to comp it out and then right so on and so forth till till eventually it went from you know my i got mine from i don't know i got mine from like I know Los Angeles, and then I, I'm I'm going to get it, and then it's going to get moved to Pennsylvania, and then it's going to move down to like Tijuana, Mexico, as a 17th generation. Eventually, who knows? But uh, yes, yeah, so from here, Kawada launches a salvo of kicks and knees to Albright's midsection, and even lands a high kick to the head. He hits a couple of running boots to the face, and then tries for a vertical suplex, but Albright Albright blocks it until Kawada is finally able to get him up. 
up and over with a suplex. Uh, Kawada tries to finish him off with a backdrop driver, but uh, Albright switches around to Kawada's back and takes him down with a single leg into a beautiful transition into, I guess it, it, this is basically a knee bar from, from behind uh, Kawada's back. Uh, Albright then transitions into a knee bar or heel hook, but Kawada is able to roll to the ropes. And, and this is all like, you know, I'm gonna make I you know there's all like there's not even ten minutes has gone in this match this this so much has happened already you know like which is which is kind of a a departure for like most all Japan matches because they're not necessarily structured like this fast paced right out of the gate and it's very submission based yeah which I would say is contrasting with like New Japan style or something like that all Japan I know you got the stretch plum with Kawada and you got the face lock with um. Masawa, but there's not a lot of submission, certainly not a lot of submission finishes. Um, and this is a very ground based, submission based match. Um, I mean, in large part because it's it's Gary Albright coming from UWFI, and this is, would you agree, this is this is more so a UWFI style match than it is an All Japan style match, um, considering the wrestlers who are involved. And it's, you know, people are, are, are going crazy over just the, these like leg bars that they're doing, or they, is yeah. that the Achilles tendon hold? Um, and, and arm bars later too. Yeah, so they they go for a lot of like limb limb submissions, basically primarily around the legs and the arms. Um, Albright tries for another leg submission, but Kawada kicks him off. Kawada kicks uh, are done to the face of Albright, and another volley of shots to the body. And uh, Kawada tries for another jumping Gamangiri, but Albright blocks it and then takes Kawada over with a belly to belly suplex that he transitions into an armbar. Beautiful transition, but Kawada gets his foot on the ropes. And I think one of the things that I think it, it's such a different departure. It is a departure, and these fans are not used to seeing this, but they were like, oh my God, there's a new exciting element that's coming into our favorite promotion. And we're seeing it unfold right here with you know, with, with uh, Gary Albright using all these kinds of moves against Kawada. And Kawada's, you know, keeping up with him for the most part. And so, like, I think for them, they were like the fans, I mean, they, they were like, they, they wanted, you know, a little bit of, you know, like freshness injected into something they had been used to seeing for, like, the last five years. Not that that, you know, Royal Road was getting stale or anything like that, but it's like, oh, my God, this is this is something entirely different from what we're used to seeing and, and it's exciting and so like oh my god what's the future hold for for what we're gonna see you know in the next several years if this continues yeah i i was watching you know going into this point and and kind of recognizing how wrestling matches and this one being a good good case of it where wrestling matches and how good they are or how over they get have something to do with what happens bell to bell or that night. But a lot of it has to do with the environment that's built, you know, organically for months and years in advance. And if Gary Albright was, had never wrestled in Japan before this point, if the audience had no reason to be aware of who he was. Um, this match would not have been, as over as it was, and not, and not just because they perceive Gary Albright as an established star from UWFI, but because of the style that he, that was established that he was, you know, associated with in terms of the, the German is super over and the submissions are super over. And nobody's hitting the ropes, by the way. In this no, match. no, um, it's it, no, this is true. But it's, so it's also like, like, go ahead. 
Oh, to your point, like I also think like with Albright, if he if he never wrestled in Japan before, if he didn't do five four or five years in, in UWFI, like just came cold, he wouldn't get this position against right. Kawada, especially and and in the semi main event slot of a Budokan Hall show with sixteen thousand fans. That that would have been like okay, let's just put him in a singles match against Kawada, you know, you know, fifth from the fifth, fifth from the top or fourth from the top, you know, that's what he would have gotten. But he, he, like you said, he did establish himself. People were familiar with him. And like he had spent five years establishing all these like deadly moves of his, with his suplexes and submissions in, and, and like his striking, like he does like kind of like some Muay clinching knees and stuff like that in this match as well, which we'll get to. Um, so Albright goes for another R bar. But Kawada blocks it. So Albright hits him with a snap suplex and goes for the arm again. But Kawada rolls through that and goes for great finding Albright's head with his legs. But Albright gets out easily. Again, there's a lot of like multiple switches and transitions out of submissions, which you, you don't necessarily see all the time in heavyweight matches in, in, in Japan, especially in all Japan at this time. But these guys are just smooth transitions, like getting out of submissions, not being letting their opponents lock anything super tight at this, at this time in the match. Yeah. It's a, uh, especially guys who are bigger. Um, I've, I've always you know, tried to think about like, well, is, is all Japan, pro wrestling is that style is it really a technical style i guess it's not and what you, what you see here is a is an example to the contrary of that yeah this is like like you say this is not a technical style like technical style promotion it's more of a wearing you down type of you know style i feel and then start hitting bombs like at the end of the match if, if you're in the main event uh but uh, this is very much like something i think kawada was just like dying to do like he wanted to do like more of a kind of a technical wrestling style match and be able to show up like, Hey, I know, I know my striking. I know my, you know, my submissions. Like, let me uh, like try to use these things more in this match. Uh, Kawada goes back to low kicks, which gets all right down. And then he goes for a single leg crap, but Albright won't turn over. So you know, Kawada decides to launch some downward kicks to Albright's face. And then he goes for, for a heel hook of his own, but Albright gets up and starts raining down Shotai palm strikes to Kawada's face. So it's, it's really intensifying here. Transitioning more from like using um, like, you know, submission holds to like, okay, now I'm going to try to hurt you with like hitting you in the face with, with like my strikes here. For sure. Yeah. And already, I, I'm already thinking this match is awesome, Brandon, because it's not, it's, and it's, I think we just hit the 10 minute mark of this <laughs> match. It's like, oh my god, this this thing's like got so much packed into it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Albright tries to take a dangerous case back, but he's able to roll out and just uh, start raining down punches to Albright and goes for another armbar. But Albright gets to the ropes and escapes to the floor. Uh, Kawada follows him out, and Albright hits him with a shoulder tackle. Uh, Kawada retaliates with kicks to the arm, but uh, a legendary referee, Jehuguchi, is able to send Kawada back to the ring and then tells Gary, come on, Gary, get back in the ring. We got, we got yeah. a match in here. Let's get let's get back in there. We see a young Monkey and Moss man on, on the floor here. Uh, er, earlier days, Junakiyama also attending the ring. Oh, I love watching, like, who's outside. Oh, there's a Morishima, there's Marafuji. Um, later on, we'll get, oh, there's Kenta, there's Kanamaru, like being ring attendants and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's always fun to see who's who's out there. Like, I think Takao Mori is still a young boy at this point, and, and uh, he's, he's out there as a ring attendant and stuff like that. 
let's see. Uh, Albright comes in where Kawada is waiting for him. Kawada tries for a body slam on on Albright, but and needs to soften up with some uh, stiff forearms to the face before finally getting him up and down. Much to the delight of the fans in Budokan Hall, this really uh, this really popped them. Brandon, this this yes, simple this, body slam, but it means so much. I, he did something very similar. I don't. Know if, I think he called it a suplex. I guess it was more of an overhead, and this was more of a traditional body slam. Um, and this was a bit more realistic. Um, I, I like that they're going for you know to work for these these holes. The the one earlier in the match <laughs> looks pretty cooperative, but this was much more realistic. Yeah, it had more struggle to it, definitely. Uh, there's a stiff kick to the back of, of Albright, which <laughs> only pisses him off. He shrugs off Kawada's strikes as he's getting up and hits a headbutt and some elbows to the face before taking Kawada down with another belly-to-belly suplex. He follows up with a power slam into a cover. It gets a two-count on, on Kawada here. Uh, Albright then hits a German suplex that sends Kawada to another dimension. and But Kawada gets up, or does he? no. Kawada actually staggers towards the ropes where he falls to the outside with like, and just the, the expression on his face, the, the sell job Kawada does off this suplex is unbelievable. Just um, amazing selling from, from a master of this particular part of wrestling. And you see, this is a very, very um, distinct Kawada sell. I would say that many people probably including myself have imitated, um, but he does it. And there's a lot of other things like this in this match. He does it in a way that I think a lot of people who, who imitate this kind of cell or, okay, it's, it's this big German, which is this really established move. He pops right up, but he's out on his feet basically. And as if there's a part of his mind and body that are trying to stay in it. And another part that are, that's just knocked out and vacant. And it, this you know leads to him spilling through the ropes to the floor. Um, a lot of other people who would try to perform this, it would, it comes off cartoony. You know, you come off like a car- cartoon with the, with the, the birds, you know, rotating around your head or whatever. <laughs> right. But, but, you know, things in all Japan, to my view, in the nineties are, they're understated enough that they immerse me rather than uh, try to stand out to such an extent that it becomes cartoony. And it sort of takes me out of the immersion. Although I think with Kawada, he's very, strategic about when he does this kind of selling like he doesn't do it throughout the entire entirety of his match with anyone yeah, he doesn't even sell. do it for this sell no but he doesn't even do it for like every match he does like he no, he no. saves it for like certain where he thinks this is like gonna get and really if, if you think about it, this match is really you know designed to get as much you know heat on Albright to try to try to elevate him. Like Kawada's not trying to sandbag this dude. Kawada's like out there, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell for this guy because I want him to become hopefully become a big star in this company and I can I can face him again and it's gonna mean even more like down the line. If I if I sell for him here, it's gonna mean more like when we're facing each other again for titles, it, whether it's tag team or singles, whatever. Yeah, there's there's this Kawada cell and there's another Kawada cell that's like he gets hit and and like he acts like he's still in it or he's gonna fire up, but then he just squats down. To, that's to right. Canvas. Yes, that's the other Kawada cell. It's it's all in the face of Ren. It's all in the face with Kawada. It's it's just like this dazed look in his face that that him. I think the only other person who I think has such a unique way of selling that doesn't come off as cartoony that people imitate is Shinjiro Otani. 
is is another person who's a great yeah. seller and people try to imitate his type of selling but again it kind of, it doesn't always work because they're not able to master the the timing and psychology of what they're what him or Quata are doing um kawada uh comes out to throw uh no albright comes out to the ring to throw kawada back in so he can finish him off K- uh, kawada kicks out of a cover but albright goes for a full nelson suplex but kawada fights it off so albright takes him over with the headlock then they they then go back and forth on the grounds with different submission attempts and and like you know these guys have already kind of started just beating each other up really badly but they're still like going through these really fluid like attempts and escapes on one another. It's really beautiful to, to to see something like this in all Japan in this era, Brandon. Yeah, it's like fast mat wrestling, but between Gary Albright, who doesn't, you know, who doesn't look like you know somebody who's going to do all this super quick mat wrestling and chain wrestling. Uh, Kawada is able to hit the backdrop driver while an Albright while uh, he's in Albright's uh, side headlock, and then he locks him in the stretch plum, which just gets this crowd fired up. Uh, you know, uh, I love this move. It's one of my favorite submission moves. Even though he never he rarely ever wins with this move, I just love how it looks, and it's one of my favorite moves to use in in virtual pro wrestling too. <laughs> when I'm playing, Kawada, one of your favorite moves to use in real life. Oh no no no. I, I I would never, you know, I'm not cruel enough or mean enough to actually put on the dreaded stretch plum on anyone in, in real life, uh, Brandon. But in virtual pro wrestling too, or no mercy for the N64, sure, why not? Not, not uh, in ways backyard. Not in ways backyard, no. But uh, unless someone asks, then then I might accommodate them. Uh, but uh, Albright is able to survive the stretch plum. He's, he throws Kawada off of him. Uh, Kawada then tries for a power bomb. But Albright uh, throws him over with a backdrop. Uh, they trade advantage on the ground until Albright captures Kawada's arm with uh, a Kimura while he's on his back. It's really nice looking, uh, you know, early like you know, MMA kind of style uh, move here. Uh, there's this is great stuff and a very you know fresh style to be seeing in a, in in all Japan. You know, up until this time, you don't really see like guys locking in kimura arm bars like a chicken wing kind of style from while they're on their back is it's this is very like wow she's like this is like this is like a different from you know baba's baba's style from in this company the, the, so. the dory funk jr style of uh you know matt wrestling and spinning tolls and stuff and what we're seeing in the mid 90s now is the introduction of this more mma style yeah uh, Kawada is able to hang on long enough in in this uh, chicken wing Kimura to to reach the ropes. Albright tries for another full Nelson suplex, but Kawada responds with a multitude of strikes and and hits a rolling capo kick. Kawada goes for an armbar. Albright throws Kawada to the ground and goes for his own armbar, but Kawada rolls through and grabs Albright's arm and straightens out for very surprising quick tap out. And yeah. I this 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 I loved it. This this came out of nowhere, but it made so much sense. Again, it's one of the few submission finishes in all Japan in the '90s that I can think of. I know there's a Masawa Gordy and maybe Masawa Saruta match that he wins with the face lock. I'm sure there's a couple matches that he that Kawada won with the stretch plum, but it's very few and far between. I'm sure there's a lot of them, but as far as memorable ones, there's very few. Um, and this yeah. is not like a it's not like the, the cross armbar was one of Kawada's signature moves. No. This is very surprising, but it's like he, he, you know, like in previous attempts of trying for like an arm bar, like a cross chest arm bar, like they're, you know, they're never able to straighten out the arm. But as soon as he straightens out the arm, Albright pretty much immediately 
taps out like it's a like it's an actual shoot fight so this is like where his his selling comes through in from uwfi it's like okay once you straighten up the arm okay like because there is actually i i you know i'm gonna assume legit pressure being applied when you actually straighten out your opponent's arm in a professional wrestling match to the point where like okay i i'm supposed to tap i'm gonna tap anyway regardless because this actually kind of hurts a little so um there is that and then like this crowd goes like goes nuts they love it they're like oh he won with an arm bar oh my god because now that, that's proven that one of their favorites one of the guys that they they push as a top guy in this company can hold his own in like a shoot style wrestling match. So I, I think it's something that, that gave that. I think if Baba really pushed it with, with quad in this sense, he, he would have had more confidence in him and, you know, as being a guy who could be a champion when Masao is not the champion and not when Kobashi isn't ready yet that he could have, I think he could have built the belt on Kawada sooner and more definitively and had a, a very nice run with him as champion with like having quality matches, but also drawing like places like Budokan and other, other big stadiums across Japan. Yeah. And that's that he didn't is kind of what makes me like Kawada even more in that he yes. never really gets his due. He's sort of this tragic figure. And he didn't, he didn't, all of his triple crown title reigns are very short where they're interrupted by like broken arms or something. And, and even like the, the way that his career ended just quietly, no, no retirement ceremony or retirement matches or anything. Um, always kind of overlooked and not fully utilized to his potential, I would say. Um, although he had, he was like the number two or number three guy for a lot, a lot of those years there. Um, and I think, you know, we, we, I can't think of like, what's the Masawa cell? What's the, you know, as, as important a figure as Masawa is, I think as like aesthetically, Kawada is to, to me, the clearly the superior wrestler, performer, because of the range of, of emotions that he's able to, to use. This is something I used to try to try to teach is that like, there's, you know, you can, you can hammer really hard on the table and that, that, that doesn't really make music, but if you, if you're able to, to use the subtlety and get that across and, and make all these different notes of, of music or of wrestling, that's where you can really, you know, fine tune and, and get strong reactions. Um, yeah. I mean, the only one who's close to him is, and I, and I'd say equal to him, but in a different ways is, is Kobashi. Because Kobashi's range of emotions really, I think, draws fans in, like, to his character. Whereas I think with Kawada, it's more towards his struggle in his matches, especially against like uh, Masawa or or Kobashi. But he's not like as beloved as Kobashi uh, would become, because like Kobashi just has that that innate fire and like sympathy that that he gets when he's selling for for his opponents. And whereas Kawada just gets, it just makes everyone look good. I feel, and but all well at the same time getting sympathy for himself, but he just makes everything look as good. And like, like, and to your point about Masawa's aesthetic as far as like his cell, what is Masawa's cell? I, I, I think it's just like he's his a very standard cell, but like, I mean, Masawa's just great in his own Masawa way that we don't really think about like that. But yeah, I mean, Kawada, in, in it's, ter- it's very Kawada in terms of creativity. There's, there's at least two Kawada cells that we talked about here, and I don't know that there's any Masawa cells. It's not to, to take away from Masawa, but to show, I guess, how great I think Kawada is. Um, yes. And I think, you know, 
if you just sat down, I don't know if I said this on the last time I was on, but if you just sat down and watched a Kawada match, you know, the first impressions are like, he's so stone-faced or he's so stoic or he's, he doesn't express much. But that's that's a, that's a misleading first impression, a natural one, but a misleading one because what, what you're really seeing there is like how low he can go with his emotions and his facial expressions ultimately gives him like a more granular way to express. Whereas if he came out, you know, like an American wrestler might, you know, screaming and yelling and everything, the, where is there to go from there? There isn't as much of a range of emotion to exploit in your match that way. I think Masao is the one who's always got the reputation of being stoic. Yes, yeah, like, true. Very few times, like, he, you'll actually see, like, him get fired up. But what he does, it's, it's really nice to see. But, like, he is he is pretty much, like, this this level, this volume throughout most of his matches. And Masao had like, other ways of doing it besides yeah, facial expressions, yeah. too. Yeah. Like, God, I think maybe it's in the, in the 6394 match where, like, Kawada pulls him and starts giving him the knees or whatever. And... And, and Masawa just like he's bending over and just all of a sudden, boom, he stands right up. It, it shows yeah. that he's pissed in, yeah. in a way that's not necessarily all about the facial expression. You know, it's, it's about other things in the body language. It's true. We, we could go on for like another, I don't know, 17 minutes. Just talk about the cells of different guys in this company and how they're, they're all great and they're all different in their own unique ways. Um, anyways, uh, this match is uh, a really noteworthy thing about this match for a semi-main event spot. In, in on a Budokan show, Brandon says this match goes 15 minutes and 36 seconds. It doesn't even hit the 20 minute mark, and I love that. I I like. I'm a person that you know. I like the all Japan epics. I like. I like that they they go sometimes an hour because there's something happening in in all these like great matches that go an hour or 30 minutes. But I'm also someone who's like, you know what? If I can just watch something that's like less than 20 minutes and it's good then i'm all for that this is less than 20 minutes this thing is like there's it's all killer no filler as far as I've, i'm concerned right i know how you think about this match but i love this match i i i want i come out of this thinking okay i i am i have a blind spot for gary albright i'm gonna change that i'm gonna start watching go back i'm like i've seen probably a lot of his matches but i haven't necessarily gone back and rewatched them for they the have project. another match these two yes they have another match year so got to watch that. But also I want to watch a lot of what he does with, with, with uh, Steve Williams in, in the triangle power tag team match, especially when they're at their peak where they're holding the world tag team titles for, for a period of time. So uh, that's something I'm, I'm glad that you picked this match. I'm glad we got to talk about Gary Albright and, and maybe some people listening to this go out. There's a lot of this stuff out there that you can just watch for free, either on YouTube or on daily motion, whether it's in all Japan or in the UWFI. And there's some actually great tribute videos that I, I was watching as well about Gary Albright out there on YouTube. So seek, seek those out people. If you, if you, if you yeah. can, if you can find them, they're very fun to watch to see like, like just him in clip form, just hitting all these big moves on a variety of like superstars of Japanese professional wrestling in the nineties. Yeah. And, and if I could hammer this point home, like I, I feel like this match is a great example of like how wrestling can be this sort of unintended collaborative effort in that the conditions that made Gary Albright over in this situation and the, the moves that, that were over in the situation was not, was not totally up to giant Baba or Kawada or Albright or Takata or whoever is in charge of, of UWFI. It's, it's this, this total environment where you're dealing with 
conditions and, and the way that fans are educated and what they expect, that's, you know, it, there's competing forces here and different promoters that want different things and really wants their business to be better than, than everybody else's. And you just have to sometimes, you know, make the best of those conditions. And this is an, exa- an example of a match that I think really does a great job of that in <clears throat> having this wrestler come in who does this different style that's not natural to the style of the promotion that he's, that he's you know, having his first matches in here. They do a, of, of working to that rather than working against it. Um, and I would say this, this, this style is like not just the style of the match, but the style of the presentation is yeah. really what I love wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like things are not, they're not hitting you over the head with the drama, which makes it all the more effective to me. Um, everything from, you know, the, the way that Gary Albert gets in the ring, they, they do this stare down and the camera's on, on all right, sort of pacing around. And he's got these facial expressions that are intense, but they're not over the top. They're not hitting you over the head with goofiness. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't have to think, oh God, he's making like a stupid facial expression because he's a pro wrestler. Of course, he's got to do this fake shit. But it, it's just enough to make me feel it, and not enough to hit me over the head with a hammer. Um, and that the the handshake that they do at the end, it's not like filled with all this gratuitous theater and drama. It's just like it's if this was a sporting event, that's how it would. It was, it's 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 meaningful, and it it's sort of another addition to the message that look Gary Albert's a, a real com- competitor here even though he lost this match quad shakes he's acknowledging him and it's there's not like this oh should I shake the hand or not or if we're gonna turn out oh, swerve turn <laughs> you know right it's it's what I want out of wrestling and you know I think that the point of wrestling when it does a good job for me as a viewer it's not to make me believe as realistic as this style is you got this amateur wrestler throwing great suplexes and much of this match is super believable. That's kind of what the UDF style is driving for. But the point of great wrestling is not to make it, make people think it's a shoot, but to make their immersion in what you're seeing as little as possible. And all the in general does that for me. This match in particular, especially with the style of match that they're doing bell to bell, really accomplishes that. Oh, for sure. I, I think you can say a lot of that probably comes from his background training with Fez, Robinson, and Hodge, and then working five years in a promotion that, you know, strive for realism and believability in, in its presentation. So Albright definitely like wants to carry that over here to, to all Japan pro wrestling. But uh yeah, that comes to the to the end of this show. Like and Brandon, thank you so much. Definitely I I love your analysis of wrestling. And I think people who are only familiar with you talking about uh more the business end of wrestling will will like uh want to have you come back on here in the future talk more just analysis of a match and then it's it's great i'm so glad you you're able to come back to do this show and uh as of this recording i i will be seeing brandon in person probably uh during the forbidden door weekend here in in toronto and uh maybe we'll uh i, I didn't get to talk to you too too much really in in new york for for that that weekend in, in, for for the post wrestling show or at the uh, for the AW show, but mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have a chance to sit down and talk more a bit more in depthly face to face. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, we're we're I mean, not that people don't know, but where can people find more of your work? Uh, WrestleNomics.com. You'll find every, all the links there. Patreon.com/slash WrestleNomics. When you invited me to do 
you didn't say you, you didn't mention the podcast stuff. You, you, you asked me if I was going to be in Toronto. I thought we were going to do this in person. I thought we were going to have a, a long oh. road in person at first. <laughs> Listen, we can pitch that to Way and John. Like we can do it at the the, the post live show. You know, if, they, if people want, we will do it as we're watching the match. Maybe yes. we can. We can, you a, can a live watch like, along. Yeah, we'll have to add another tickets tier to like just for people who want to watch that. Then you know, because we got to get we got to get paid too for that. You know what I'm saying? I got to get my taste. You know what I'm saying? So, anyways, we'll we'll be seeing each other. But yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Brent is always doing stuff at at wrestlenomics.com at his Patreon site. Um, also, of course, here at postwrestling.com, including like his. Is it a weekly show you do with John? Basically. The Pollock and Pollock tr- 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 trying to be a weekly show. We'll see. <laughs> because there's so much. I mean, like recently, there's so much news that like there's you can't not go a week without talking to each other. I feel <laughs> talking about what's happening in TV rights and AW and and this and that collision and, and Nikon doing something here and there. But I, mean, uh, I, I love Wade, it. John and Way do so much. I want to be careful not to put too much on his plate, but we'll see. I think. I think. I think John loves it. Like I can hear in his voice when he's like doing a show with you. It's like, okay, I get to get to the nitty gritty and get really granular with, with these uh, financials and stuff like that. So like, I, I, I mean, I always love when you guys talk together on, on uh Pollock and Thurston. I look forward to those, even though I'm not a huge fan of like necessarily the business side, but I, I find it fascinating. And, and I like hearing you guys talk about it. So go check that out anytime, anytime Brendan's doing anything, whether it's on his own or with John, or maybe sometimes like, I want to see, I want to see way come on, do, do a financial show with you. Okay. You know, we, we got to get way to come on to do one of those things with, with you or something like that. Of course you can find me uh, here long and wine rural road. You can also find me uh, usually monthly with John Pollock doing uh, post Perez. Uh, and uh, yeah, and soon we'll be uh, coming back with more uh, Marvel cinematic universe content on MCU later with me and way over at the cafe on the Patreon side of the site. So sign up for those. We're like the fall is going to be crazy with Marvel content. So me and way got a lot of things to talk about. And uh, yeah, occasionally I, I appear other places like Rappel and, and, and other places. So check me out whenever I, I show up there. But uh, thank you to Brandon. Oh, yeah. Check out the, the, the Five Pillars t-shirt. Check out the, the, the Four Pillars t-shirt. We got all those up at the site, at the store. They're, 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 I apparently am the best-selling uh, t-shirt per, content person on, on the site. You get a great marketing campaign for that shirt. You know? I, the first one, yes, I did. Uh, but yeah, people just love uh, love these shirts, apparently. So like, I appreciate all the support from everyone who's who's picked up a t shirt and, and and worn it, even if it, you know on television. Uh, that that helps. That's nice. I appreciate that. But uh, thank you very much for everyone for their support. Thank you, Brandon. We'll see each other in person soon. We'll have you back on the show, definitely again. Uh, maybe you know my challenge with you. Uh, nothing with Kawada in it. Try to pick someone oh. else. All right. This time, because I know you love Kawada and I love Kawada too. But maybe as as a as a change of pace, we'll try to pick someone a match without Toshiaki Kawada. That's a good challenge. It. And then it's a good challenge. Maybe, maybe yeah. a, a Kira Tawe singles match. You could try wow. one of those. That's that's, a, that's an even even better challenge. Because um, I know you probably you're probably not you're not one of these people who doesn't appreciate the greatness of of one dynamic T. I, I appreciate Tawe. I think I'm on the record as not being a Tawei voter for the Observer Hall of Fame, though. Okay. Well, we'll have to talk about that if we do a show okay. about 
Tower. Okay. Anyways. Perfect. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Brandon for being on the show. Check him out at WrestleNomics. Check me out on everything else I do here at Post Wrestling. And until the next time, I will say goodbye. Goodbye.